0: Jacob's life story is not about a cheat who finally sees the error of his ways. Jacob is a trickster, yes, but he's a blameless, perfect trickster. Jacob challenges our sentimentalized, prudish, prissy, squeamish, Victorian assumptions about what it means to be blameless. We think blameless or perfect means non-threatening, winsome, winsome passive, above all, nice, with a capital N-I-C-E. But in the Bible, that's not what blamelessness is. Noah wasn't like that, Abraham wasn't, nor was Joseph, Moses, David, none of the prophets, Jesus, Peter, Paul. We shouldn't condemn Jacob, the righteous man, the blameless man, for his relentless, shrewd pursuit of God's promise.
1: Hey folks, and welcome back to The Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have a recent sermon from Peter Lightheart that he delivered at All Saints in Honolulu, Hawaii, as he was there recently for a series of lectures and a regional course. We want to make you aware of a couple of events coming up with theopolis right around the corner on november 11th and 12th is our regional course on how to sing the psalms which will be in unity maine and we are also announcing our march intensive course which will be here in birmingham and taught by peter Lighthart on paul apostle of the risen david in this course peter is going to be seeking to offer a holistic understanding of paul's theology by focusing on the letters of galatians and romans While seeking to grasp Paul's work in its historical setting, this course is going to expound on the continuing relevance of Pauline theology in the 21st century. So to check out our psalm singing course in Maine and to get more information about our upcoming March intensive here in Birmingham, you can find links down there in the show notes. We hope that you enjoy and are encouraged by this homily, and we want to thank you so much for listening. And here is Peter Lightheart preaching on the life of Jacob.
0: homily this morning is based primarily on our Old Testament reading from Genesis 32. From the beginning, even before he was born, Jacob's life was a life of struggle. While still in the womb, he fought with his older brother Esau, and his young men, they continued to struggle. From his mother, Rebekah, Jacob knew that he was destined to have supremacy over Esau, he was destined to be the carrier, carrier and bearer of the covenant. He was the younger brother, whom his elder brother would serve. Jacob obtained the promised birthright when Esau accepted an outrageous exchange: his birthright for a bowl of red lentil stew. Following his mother's instructions, Jacob obtained the blessing God promised by disguising himself as Esau and bringing his his father some food. Jacob wrestled with Esau and prevailed. Jacob's struggle with Esau was also a struggle with his father. Isaac favored Esau because Esau brought him tasty food, like father, like son. Isaac and Esau were both ruled by their bellies. Isaac knew Jacob was to be supreme, but he and he was grieved by Esau's marriage to two Hittite women. Yet still, Isaac planned to give the blessing to Esau. Jacob parried his father's plans and wrested the birthright and the blessing. Jacob wrestled Isaac, and prevailed. Esau, of course, didn't like being supplanted, and he plotted to kill Jacob. So Jacob fled from his father's house, beginning a twenty-year exile in Padden Aram, in the house of his uncle Laban. If he hoped to get away from the strife of his own home, it didn't work. Laban promised Rachel, but gave him Leah. Laban treated Jacob like a hired man rather than a relative. Jacob protected Laban's flocks, and when one of them was killed, Jacob made it good. He spent his days in the hot sun, his nights in the frost, yet Laban kept cheating him and changing his wages. If God had not been with Jacob... Laban would have sent him out empty-handed. Yet in spite of Laban, Jacob flourished in Paddan Aram. He got two wives, two maidservants, 11 sons, large flocks and herds. Jacob wrestled Laban and prevailed. Well, of course, Jacob's life was a life of constant struggle, we might think. Jacob, after all, was dishonest. A trickster, a shyster, a liar, a cheat, an opportunist, shifty, untrustworthy, negligent, probably a little bit effeminate, a mama's boy who spent his days in the tents instead of out hunting with his manly, manly brother Esau. God said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And then comes the popular preacherly punchline, What's surprising is not that God hated Esau. What's surprising is that He loved Jacob. Jacob was right to be ang- Esau was right to be angry at his brother. We think, after all, Jacob cheated him. Isaac didn't want Jacob to have the birthright because Isaac understood Jacob's character. He knew that he was corrupt. Laban might have deceived Jacob, but it was a fitting, delicious eye for eye payback. The deceiver deceived that's a popular way to tell the story of jacob it's make his it makes his life story one of unmerited grace if god can make jacob the father of his people he can use any disreputable man any liar for his own purposes the message of jacob's life becomes the message of every story of the bible you are a rotten sinner yet god saves rotten sinners The problem is that's not the story the Bible tells about Jacob. We're not well served by our translations. As Jacob and Esau grow, we're told Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a smooth man, living in tents. That translation makes it sound as if Esau is active and powerful. Jacob is a 95-pound weakling and a homeboy. Esau's hairy all over. Jacob probably couldn't grow a beard if he tried. But that's not what Genesis actually says. The fact that Esau is a hunter should put us on alert. The only hunter we've met so far in the book of Genesis is Nimrod, the founder of Babel and Nineveh. It's not promising if Esau is another Nimrod. Besides, the text does not say that Jacob was smooth or peaceable. Genesis 25:27 says Jacob was perfect. It's the same word that's used for Noah and for Job. The word that's translated as blameless in the book of Psalms. The word Yahweh used when he commanded Abraham to walk before me and be perfect. Genesis is not talking about Jacob's complexion or his dermal condition. It's talking about his character. At the beginning of Jacob's story, not at the end, but at the beginning of Jacob's story, he's a perfect complete and mature man. Jacob's life story is not about a cheat who finally sees the error of his ways. His life story is like the life story of Job recounting the travails and trials, the struggles, strife, and wrestling of a blameless man. Jacob is a trickster, yes, but he's a blameless, perfect trickster. With Rebekah, he concocts a charade to take the blessing from Esau, but it's a mature, righteous charade designed to pull Isaac back from his disastrous course and to get the covenant back on track. Jacob slips away from Laban under cover of night, but his departure is the act of a blameless man trying to escape an abusive employer who is also his uncle and his father-in-law. Jacob challenges our sentimentalized, prudish, prissy, squeamish, Victorian assumptions about what it means to be blameless. We think blameless or perfect means non-threatening, winsome, passive, above all, nice, with a capital N-I-C-E. But in the Bible, that's not what blamelessness is. Noah wasn't like that. Abraham wasn't nor was Joseph, Moses, David, none of the prophets, Jesus, Peter, Paul. We shouldn't condemn Jacob, the righteous man, the blameless man, for his relentless, shrewd pursuit of God's promise. We should instead examine ourselves. We're likely to quit as soon as the match begins, but Jacob knows that the future of the covenant rests with him. He knows it would be a disaster for Esau to receive the birthright and the blessing. He knows God's promise, and he fights to get and keep it. Jacob plays for keeps. He aims to win. He wrestles with men in order to prevail. But we're still missing the key to Jacob's story, and the episode in our Old Testament text gives us the last piece of the puzzle. Jacob is returning to the land after 20 years with Laban. He gathers his wives, his children, his flocks. He flees from Laban by night. It's a pre-enactment of the Exodus and the Passover. Laban chases him down like Pharaoh will later chase down the Israelites. But Jacob and Laban set a boundary and they cut a covenant. And each swears not to harm the other. As Jacob comes to the edge of the land, he learns that Esau is coming out with 400 men. He sends ahead goats, camels, cattle, donkeys in droves, a gift to pacify his brethren. That night he sends his wives, their maids, and his children across the Jabbok into the land, and Jacob is left alone at the border of the land, just as he was alone at Bethel on the night that he fled from Esau. And in the middle of the night he is attacked, and he's forced into a wrestling match. Again, Jacob has wrestled with Esau. He's wrestled with Isaac, with Laban. Jacob has wrestled all his life, and now as he prepares to reenter the land, he's wrestling again. But with whom? In the darkness, Jacob doesn't know. Maybe it's Esau. Maybe the gifts didn't pacify Esau. Maybe he wants to have it out with Jacob one last time, once for all, man to man. Get this struggle over once and for all. Maybe it's Laban. Laban promised not to attack, but Laban has been breaking promises as long as Jacob has known him. Maybe he's angry at Jacob for leaving him, for taking Laban's daughters and his grandchildren and his herds and his flocks. Jacob's whole life come to a climax Here, in one night, he relives relives the whole life of wrestling. From the womb, through his youth, through his adulthood in Paddan Aram, it all comes to a head here at the Brook Jabbok, at the edge of the land of promise. And on this night, in this climactic wrestling match, Jacob has a revelation. His whole life becomes clear when he realizes he's not wrestling Esau, he's not wrestling Laban, He's not wrestling any man. He's wrestled men and prevailed, but on this night, he wrestles with God. And he knows he's been wrestling with God all along. When he wrestled in the womb with Esau, he was wrestling with God. When he wrestled his birthright and blessing from Esau, he was wrestling with God. When he wrestled with Isaac and Laban, he was wrestling with God. As he struggled with men, he was always struggling with God. Jacob was a perfect man, but God intended to make him more perfect. Jacob was mature, but God sent obstacles and barriers, frustrations and enemies, so that Jacob could become more mature. Jacob wins. He prevails by clinging to God. By not letting him go, even when the angel cripples him by touching him on the thigh. He prevails as the widow prevails on the judge in the gospel reading by his persistence in seeking God. By the time he gets to the jabbok, Jacob is not just a man who wrestles with men and prevails, he's grown up into a man who can wrestle with God and prevail. The climax of the story is a double name change. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob means supplanter. That's the early story of Jacob as he supplanted his older brother and his uncle. But Jacob, the name, also puns on the verb for wrestle. In Hebrew, Jacob sounds like Yaakov. The verb for wrestle is Yavek. At the Jabbok... The meaning of Jacob's name is revealed. Jacob was named wrestler from the beginning. In every match he prevails, even when God himself is the opponent. And through his wrestlings with men, he's been strengthened from Jacob into Israel. Israel means soldier of God, commander, contender. God prevails, or he prevails with God. Jacob has earned his name. He wrestles with men and prevails, and in doing that, by doing that, he becomes a man who can wrestle with God and prevail. God renames Jacob, and Jacob renames the place. When he arrives, it's called Jabbok, in Hebrew, Yabok. It's another pun on the verb for wrestle, another pun on Jacob's name. Jacob, the wrestler, wrestles God at a place called Wrestling. But this place of wrestling, this place of struggle and strife, becomes a place of revelation where Jacob learns the secret of his life when he comes face to face with the divine wrestler who was his faceless opponent behind all his human adversaries. And Jabbok, the place of wrestling, becomes Peniel, which means face of God. The place where Jacob becomes Israel by wrestling with God is the place where Jacob sees God face to face. The promise of the life of Jacob is not that God saves scoundrels and rascals, though God does save scoundrels and rascals. The promise of the life of Jacob is certainly not that our lives will be free from struggle and strife. The promise is not that we will go through life unwounded, On the contrary, we all have our Esau's, difficult, demanding, wicked siblings or friends. We all have our Isaac's, complacent, passive parents and authorities. We all have our Laban's, abusive, unjust employers. We are often at the edge of the Jabbok, in the dead of night, wrestling with uncanny adversaries. And we do not go away from these encounters without being wounded. Jacob, the victor, Jacob who prevails with God, limps away from his match with God. Our lives are not intended to be strife-free. We're not intended to be unwounded by life, but we are the children of the true Israel. And we're called to wrestle with men so that we become strong enough To wrestle with God and to prevail with Him. The promise of the life of Jacob is that God Himself is behind all of our adversaries, and He sends them into our lives so that we can grow into maturity in Christ. The promise of the life of Jacob is that we will prevail with men as we cling to God and prevail with Him. Wounded like Jacob, we limp across the river to receive our inheritance our wound a sign of our victory with God, not a sign of our defeat. The promise of the life of Jacob is the promise contained in the name change. Every Jabbok, every place of wrestling and strife is a potential penal, a place where we meet God face to face. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the instruction of the life of Jacob. We thank you for the example of Jacob, the perfect man who learned to wrestle with men and prevail, the perfect man who was perfected by those wrestlings so that he could wrestle with you and prevail even with you, the living God. We pray that you would make us children of Jacob, a true Israel, who wrestles with men in faith, wrestle with men and whatever obstacles you place in our way, confident that you place them there and that in wrestling with those obstacles and those frustrations and those enemies, we are in fact wrestling with you, being strengthened. We pray that you would give us the promise of this account, that every place of wrestling would be a place where we see you face to face. And we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ,